interesting things about being a church planter is you, you do things like walk around the hallways and, and think, how do, we, uh, how do we keep this from feeling like it's in a rut or, you know, the energy's off or something like, maybe we should move that banner over here and move that banner over there. And maybe instead of having the coffee at a 45 degree angle, we can make it like a 22 degree angle. Um, so how do we do those things, right? And what's fun for me is when, when we actually get in here and begin to worship, the reminder is that church isn't about signs and coffee and anything else. Um, church really is people. Um, the word ecclesia, which we get church from, um, means gathering of people. It, it exists when we're here gathered. A church is a community. A church isn't a business or an institution. And so it's kind of fun for me to be reminded. I mean, just look around you. What does the energy come from this morning? It's not the banners on the way in. Um, it's the people sitting around you. It's, it's the, the, the mass of people in this room um, coming to worship God. Church is us. It's community. And so hopefully if God is at the center and we are here to worship God, the, the banners and the other silly stuff will just kind of fall away and uh, maybe not mean all that much. So it's kind of a good reminder for me that, that some of those thoughts as a church planner are misguided, um, that the reality of, of who we are is, is right here in this room. Um, it's not the web pages and it's not the banners. So, um, anyways, I'm just excited that you guys value being here as a church community. Uh, before I introduce our speaker for this morning, there's an explosion of things going on. So I just felt like we needed to be able to talk about some of those things, just so you had a sense of um, of all that's going on. We had our first summer intern show up this morning, um, Philip from Kenya. Uh, a student, George Fox, who lives in Kenya, who was born and raised in Kenya, and you'll meet him next week along with other interns. Our next intern comes tomorrow, and they kind of trickle in all week. So a bunch of interns coming in on June 14th. We have Summit High reserved in the evening so that we can have a kind of an all-church worship night, and it's going to double as the CD release party for the Antioch uh, music CD that they've been working on in the studio. Um, so totally excited about that. Next Sunday is Congo Sunday, and so we get to hear about um, the, the trip to Congo from the people that went. We get to watch some video and see some pictures. Um, it's going to be an incredibly moving Sunday, uh, and we just hope that you'd all come back for that. There's just a ton of things going on. So um, two things in specific, though, that I want to give a little bit more time to. The first is uh, the leadership, the elders and staff have kind of um, adopted a strategy for this summer that we want to have kind of a midweek option available for those of you that want to have something to do in the middle of the week. Small groups kind of take a break for the summer. Uh, we've never had a midweek service. A, a lot of you um, are hungry for worship. And so what we've done is um, we're going to make our strategy for this summer to be involved with Matt Summers in the worship nights he does at Summers Hardwood Flooring on Wednesday nights. And Summers Hardwood Flooring is the place where we've been able to meet as a college group for free for the last year and a half. And Matt basically, um, a number of months ago, followed God into this vision of doing kind of a multi-church worship night there on Wednesday nights. And so it's an Antioch-sponsored event for us, which means this is our strategy for the summer. It's not an Antioch-only event because it's designed to, to welcome anybody into those Wednesday nights. So Matt is just going to share a couple words about his vision for that. And Thanks, Ken. Well, I don't know about you guys, but I can't get enough worship. 
And uh, I travel a lot on the weekends. I'm gone um, sometimes three weekends a month. And so for me to connect on a Wednesday night, to come into the you know, presence of God, I know a lot of people say, well, you know, I just worship when I'm driving my car. And, and I wish that I did that more often. And, and some people just walk in there super spiritual and ready to go, kind of like Ken and Justin, just, you know, spiritual giants. But for me, uh, and I am working on that, doing, spending more of that time myself, but, but when I get together with other people, worship the Lord, uh, it's just so incredibly powerful. And worshiping with you guys, it, it's so incredibly powerful. So for me, it's, it's you know, a, a lot of churches, many churches in Central Oregon don't have Wednesday night services, so we just wanted to get together and worship. We have seven or eight churches involved that just come and, and uh, hang out with us and just love on Jesus. And it's real simple. We walk in and hug each other and then worship the Lord and then pray for each other at the end. The other thing that, that God really sh- has shown me being a business, uh, shown Kim and I, is that, um, you know, the sacrifice of praise that David talks about, uh, bringing a sacrifice of praise. And, and when things are going great, which they were the last few years, it was, it was pretty easy to worship the Lord and thank him and just go, God, I just want to thank you for this cool stuff and the, the, you know, the prosperity that you brought to this beautiful central Oregon and the fact that I get to live here. But, but uh, in difficult times, worship for me becomes even more powerful because as I sp- spend that time, just like spending that time this morning, it's just like, God, you are, e- you are everything and you're all I need. And it just uh, really sinks deeper into my heart. So hopefully that, that uh, we're helping people to do that in this difficult time. And uh, what we're going to do is, it's, it's every Wednesday night, this first Wednesday night, I think it's the 24th, is going to be the first, it's not the 20th, today's the 24th, right? What day's today? It's this Wednesday night, um, 27th. Um, this Wednesday night's going to kind of be the first time that we're saying, hey, Antioch, if you're free on Wednesday nights, your small group is stopped for the summer, uh, join us there. There'll be people from Antioch leadership there, um, you're not going to be lost, and we're going to try and do that throughout the summer. Um, and just have that available. There's an insert in your bulletin, has some more specific things, has some directions. Uh, if you'd like more information, any questions, anything like that, just feel free to uh, email us, info at antiochchurch.org, and we'll try and answer that. Uh, next thing I want to talk about is just the college, Kilns College. And if you're new to us and you don't know, um, Kilns College is basically um, our version of a school that was given to us a little over a year ago, a, a Bible college that it just uh, that was trying to get going in Central Oregon and had gotten approval from the state to do a one-year Bible degree. And we were kind of brought in and it was handed to us because they thought, that the board at the time, that we could do a better job of reaching the target audience that they were after. And so the board stepped down and a bunch of um, leaders within Antioch um, took over the board and, and it became kind of an Antioch ministry. We, we renamed it Kilns College. It's at that time that um, through the college we rented the Kilns bookstore so it's the facility for the college, and then during the daytime, it's a retail store that really tries to drive home the idea of missions, that by shopping with a purpose, by using consumer dollars, by trying to help um, with some of these commodities being produced in third world countries, by us buying those, we're actually able to help with sustainable living for those people, and it's a way that we can help um, brothers and sisters around the world. So we kind of run it as a retail during the day, and then it's also the school's facility. And we started um, a year ago with just four classes and a certain number of students and started building out. 
and a, a ton of things are happening. Mike Saba is now acting as the dean of faculty and doing a phenomenal job of working with the teachers and professors. Trisha Lavik, Justin's wife, who was an admissions counselor at Biola for a number of years, um, is operating in that capacity now for the college, going out and being the admissions counselor. She's met with all the high schools in Central Oregon. The guidance counselors had them down to the facility. It's beginning to meet with high school graduating students. We've worked out transfer agreements with I think up to a dozen colleges, Christian colleges now, where our classes transfer as credits, really making this school a viable option for people that are going to um, eventually go on and, and do a Bible degree at, at say, um, uh, George Fox or other Christian colleges that way. Um, so it's a lot of fun to see that movement going. Derek Kristoff, who has experience with financial aid, is kind of advising us on how to get going with financial aid. And then this fall, we're going to six classes. We're going to do our first daytime class, and we're adding two art classes. And the, the fascinating thing about this is that we worked out um, an agreement with the state to have a one-year Bible and arts degree. So it's kind of looking at art, um, art through Christian history, um, and different things like that, as well as the Bible classes. And so we have now a second degree offering, um, a one-year Bible and arts degree. And so this fall, we're going to six classes, and two of them will be art classes. So we're really excited just about that. There's just a ton going on that way. And I want to let you know about two things this week so that you can come, learn more, um, or figure out how to be involved. And by the way, um, I'll get to that in a second. This Thursday at lunch at the Kilns Bookstore is going to be a lecture on human rights um, by myself and Mike Saba. And we're using that lunch also to talk a lot about the apologetics conference coming up in February. If you remember, we did one last October, and the next one is this next February. And so we want to talk to you about that. We want to talk to you about the fall classes. Um, we just want to talk about a whole bunch of different things and then also um, give a lecture on human rights. That's this Thursday, catered by Baja Fresh at the Kilns Bookstore. This Saturday is a breakfast at the bookstore for anyone in, interested, doesn't matter how old you are or whether you finish school or not or, or whatnot, if you're interested in maybe pursuing one of these one-year degrees, um, there's a breakfast that Kim Hunt is putting on this Saturday morning uh, with every, all the staff from the college there to really talk to you about the degree programs, what the classes are, um, how to get involved, and just some different pieces of information that way. So um, this Saturday, if you can, there's an insert in your bulletin. Just put your email address, drop it in the offering bucket when it comes by. But we'd love to see as many of you come on Saturday um, as possible that are interested in uh, the degree program and learning more about that. Um, also, if you are willing to help with the Apologetics Conference, we've got an amazing lineup already. Um, Craig Blomberg from Denver, one of the, the leading New Testament scholars. Daniel Wallace, who's arguably the leading Greek, uh, New Testament Greek scholar in the country. Um, out of Dallas are both going to be coming. Uh, Daniel Wallace is actually going to be preaching Sunday morning after the apologetics conference. Um, so it's kind of coming together, but we're looking for help to kind of piece together a conference team that can um, plan ahead and get a lot of the pieces in place. So if you're willing, because uh, we're not going to have Emmy with us this year, because um, so if you're willing to help with that conference, I'd just love it if you'd write apologetics conference on your, or just conference on your connecting card and drop it in the offering bucket later and we'll try and loop you in that way, and we could certainly use the help. So um, just a little bit of what's going on, and, and now I'm going to bring up Emmy, and Emmy is going to talk to us this morning. Emmy and Vio um, Popa have been interns with us for the last year. They're both Romanian, and they come to us through Moody Bible Institute. 
This is their last Sunday with us. And Emmy and Vio are going to be leading our high school group and some of our college students on a missions trip this summer to Romania. And so we uh, are asking Emmy to come up, and he's going to share a little bit about uh, his story about Romania um, and just why he thinks this is a cool thing that um, our youth are going here on a mission trip. So if you would give a warm welcome, and um, I think you'll get a chance later for a farewell, but a warm welcome for Emmy um, this morning. Thank you. Thanks, Ken. Yeah, it's been a very interesting adventure for us. I came in America in 04 to get my Master's of Divinity at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. That's where I met my wife, also from Romania. She came there in 04. We met first day of school, sat next to each other in chapel, in a chapel of 1,500 students. And, and so we uh, met and we got married in 07. And, and when we were getting ready to get done with our education, we were like, hey, let's, let's do an internship somewhere. And I, I made this list, you know, John Piper, John MacArthur, you know, all these big names, all these big churches. And I was like, and one prof comes today and is like, hey, there's this church in Bend, Oregon. Bend what? What's Bend? Where's Bend? You know, I never heard about it. And, um, and we got in touch with Rabbi Reynolds here, as I like to call him, you know, Brandon Reynolds. And uh, we talked and we came here in June uh, and we interviewed and we talked and um, we decided that this is a, this is a good, good thing for us and we came here. So we were excited. We had a great year, a good experience. Um, we served in different capacities. I'm just very excited that my wife had to, the opportunity to get involved in a lot of ministries here. And um, for me too, you know, just all over working under Brandon with men's ministry, you know, helping with the apologetics conference. I really love that. And, and I'm really, really excited. We are very, very excited that we can take 17 people from Antioch to Romania this summer. 17. Uh, Ten of them are high school. And you'll you hear a little bit about that uh, later. Now, I was asked to talk about Romania. And it's really hard to figure out what I'm going to say. Now, I know I'm going to say, but I struggle with it. Why? Because there's so much I can say. And I ask myself, what can I say that's helpful for the Antioch community to hear? What can I say that, that's good for you to hear, that you understand some of the things that we're, we're challenged with, that you understand why we're taking the team from Antioch to Romania? And I've kind of like wrote a lot of things down, and if I talk fast, I'm sorry, track with me, I have to talk fast because I have a lot of things to cover. Um, but anyways, uh, we should have a map of Romania up there if it worked out somewhere. There it is. Um, Romania is in Eastern Europe. It's not in Africa, not in South America. Uh, yeah, you'd be surprised. I, I got that. So. But uh, there you have the, the neighbors of Romania. You have Serbia uh, down by the Danube River. Uh, Serbia is former Yugoslavia. Okay, now it's Serbia. Then you have Hungary uh, on the west. Up there in the north you have Ukraine. And then there's that country called the Republic of Moldova. It's actually the, the full name is the Republic of Moldova very small country. Uh, it's still communist. And then you have the Black Sea there, and then Bulgaria in the south. Now, uh, right there by the Black Sea, uh, from what I know last year, or something like that, Condoleezza Rice signed the protocol for the American military to build a base, because if you just fly over the Black Sea, you're in the Middle East, where you need to be. So if you want to know, the Romanians are very pro 
America. We have a government that really likes working with the United States. Uh, and uh, I like that. And, and, and we like you guys. Uh, you know, so I, I always said it's good to be a friend of the United States. I, I just really like that position. But, um, but that's where Romania is. And you see, if you look on the west part there, you have two uh, cities in bold, Arad and Timisoara. I'm from Arad. That's where I live. And this will stay up there, I guess, for the whole time. And at the end, when we get a little bit talking about what the team is going to do, I'll, I'll come back to that. But that's where Romania is, so just that you know. Well, um, Romania was a communist country 45 years after the Second World War until 1989. Um, and you know, in the Second World War, Romania started alongside Germany, which was not a good choice. Uh, but then they turned against Germany, joined Russia, and became a communist country. So you have, okay, become communist, stay with Hitler. Become communist, stay with Hitler. I don't know. It's not, <laughs> I don't think it's a good choice. But uh, after all, you know, uh, we, we had to choose, and we turned against Germany, stayed with Russia, we became a communist country, and that really led us to a destroyed country, I think. The communists actually destroyed the, the country. And you, you'll, I just, I'm going to try to talk a little bit about what Romania looked like under communist, uh, what life was under communism, and what we had to face. Uh, we're going to talk a bit about the revolution in 89, what happened. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the things that Romania is known for unique things that Romania has, unique contributions. Uh, that's going to be cool. And then a little bit about life today after communism and how communists influenced the way Romania looks like, the way church looks like, the way we think our mentality. And then end with, uh, with a little bit about what, what the Antioch team will do there. So Romania under communism. Uh, the dictator, I don't know if anyone knows the name of him, but he was Nicolae Ceausescu. Nicolae Ceausescu was the dictator, dictator in Romania. He was friends with all these cool guys, Saddam Hussein, Castro, and uh, so forth. And he was absolutely nuts. He, um, he built the second largest building in the world after the Pentagon, the People's House. He killed every single one who built that building, who worked on the building. Thousands of people were killed because he didn't want, to know, he didn't want them to talk about what he built there. Now, from what I know, we have eight levels underground. Well, that's what I know. We don't know how many they have underground. And uh, actually, the team is going to visit that building this summer. It's, it's, it's big, it's huge. And um, see what the dictator did. He actually, you know, he actually really hated Christians. He hated, he, he hated any evangelicals. Purely did, just hate them. Um, and there was a lot of persecution going around, you know, for the Christians and all that. But overall, I'd say this. The communists... With the communist regime destroyed the country. The economy, the education, the people's mentality, everything was destroyed. Um, and we were really lacking a lot of things. You know, when I, when I tell people what it was back then, it's just, it's just shocking. Um, the church was persecuted a lot. Uh, it was a lot of underground. It was a lot of hidden stuff going around. Uh, BEE, Biblical Education by Extension, the Navigators and Campus Crusade for Christ were coming in in the late 70s and the 80s and they were smuggling in Bibles. It was hard for us to get Bibles. There was absolutely no access to any Christian literature. The church was persecuted a lot. A, a lot. Uh, uh, foreigners, missionaries were arrested. 
they were made to leave the country uh, several times. You know, Christians in those times were called repenters from, from the word repent. That's a derogatory term. They called us, when they want to mock us, even today, they call us the repenters. It is, they considered us to be a cult, a sect, a, you know, a bunch of weirdos. They don't even know what the term repent is. That's when, when we stay and when we come and say repent in the biblical sense, they think the repenters, the weirdos, before the revolution who have all those rules. Repenter is a derogatory term. And if you talk to me or my wife, we were called that in elementary school. And even after, when we were in school, they were calling us repenters. They were, they were mocking us. It's, it's a derogatory term. Um, Christians will lose their jobs because of their faith. They will be expelled from school. They will be denied the diploma when graduating from university. They'd say deny Christ. Some of them I know personally, they will deny the diploma. A lot of them were expelled from school. They come and say, renounce your faith. Deny God. Deny Christ. And you'll stay. Or you'll be expelled. They'll come and say, you want a promotion? We'll give you a promotion. Join the Communist Party. Renounce God. They'll come and say, we'll fire you unless you do so, 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 and forth. You know, they have all these techniques. They'll call people in and they'll say, write this declaration. And if you say, I don't want to write it, they'll do, like, they'll do things like, do you want your job? Do you care for your family? Do you love your wife? You know, and, and today we can, I can stand very easily and look back and condemn some of those Christians. Uh, and the sad part is, is because, because of that, a lot of Christians decided to compromise. And a lot of the pastors, a lot of the leaders became informers for the Communist Party, for the secret police. And there's the still big scandal today, even today, uh, in 09, because a lot of the pastors who are pastors today, before 89, were informers for the Communist Party. And it's, it's, I just, I get angry when I think about that. And so a lot of Christians, in order to survive, sadly compromised. Um, but that's, that's what the communists did. You know, there would be the pressure, this pressure on you. And, you know, I just, I remember being a kid. I'm a lonely child. I have no siblings. My father was arrested multiple times by the communist regime. Uh, and, you know, Lord willing, he was not held. See, what they do sometimes, if they wanted to arrest someone, they would arrest the person and keep him in jail for, in prison for years if they wanted to. No trial, nothing. Now, my father didn't, it didn't happen that way, but they arrested him many times. They kept him in for like 12 hours, 24 hours, 36 hours, let him back out. But there were Christians, believers, people who were arrested. They were put in prison. They were beaten, and they were killed in prison. That's what happened. I don't know if any of you are familiar, at least, or heard of the Voice of Martyrs, that organization. What is the Romanian pastor, Richard Wurbrand, or Richard, you will call him, Richard Wurbrand, and there's an excellent book, if you want to read it, it's called Tortured for Christ. Tortured for Christ. That is because of him that he spent a lot of years in the Romanian prison. He was beaten, he was tortured, that the voice of martyrs started. And it's just crazy what they did to people during those times. You know, I remember I was a kid, they would send people in our house to search the house for Christian literature. If they found any Christian literature in the house, you could get arrested, you could go to prison. 
We have Christian literature up somewhere in a place. They search all the house except for that place up in a, in a corner in the wardrobe. They didn't search that. They searched all the house. They usually send those guys to search the house when my father was not home. It was only me and my mom. So that, you know, they would be more intimidating. Uh, but that's how they operated. And when I, was, when I was young, when I was in school, you know, both me, both my wife, you know, we, we got mocked a lot because we were the repenters. We were the, we were the Christians. Um, and it was not easy back then. Um, you would get arrested if you hosted foreigners. You know, we'd have missionaries coming from Campus Crusade and, and the, the navigators, and, and we'd host them. You could get arrested if you host them. You, didn't, you weren't allowed to host them. They'd have to stay in a hotel. It's because the communists tried to control everything. They tried to make sure that nothing that was going wrong within the country would come back to the, to the West. That was their technique. Uh, you know, um, the food was rationed. I told some of you about that. You had a limited amount of eggs, oil, milk, all this bread that you had every week for your family. If you ate it, that was it. You couldn't get any more. It was limited. Gas was limited. You get this much gas per week. If you use it, that's it. You can't drive. There was that, that was all we lived for years and years until December of 89 when it was, the people said enough, the communist regime collapsed. It was not easy to have that. I remember my grandma, my grandpa would wake up at 4.30 a.m. and they would go and stay in line at the grocery store just to make sure that we could get some bread, some milk, some eggs, the basic stuff that you just want to have. And, um, you know, it's, it's really, really interesting because God has a way of turning things around. If my father was one of the pastors that before 89 was persecuted and, you know, there was a lot of things going on, God turned things around that later on in 2000, my father, a Baptist minister, became the mayor of the city, 200,000 people of Arad. All those people, they would persecute him before they would come to him for help. And they would come and apologize. And they would come and like, oh, you know, Mr. Popeye, it was the communist regime. You know, we don't, we didn't have a choice. And it was just interesting what happened through time. But back then, the American embassy in Bucharest, they knew what was going on, at least to a certain extent. In 87, um, in 87, my father and our family, they offered my father political asylum. They said, bring your wife, your kid, we'll take you to the U.S. My father said no. He was like, I'm, I want to stay in Romania. I never understood why. I thought it was a bad decision, but anyways. Uh, uh, you know, I just, I would have preferred to be here. Uh, but, but he stayed. And, uh, and things changed later on. But the American embassy was very, very instrumental in protecting a lot of Christians back then. And I, I want you to know that that is important. If it weren't for the American embassy, a lot of bad things would have happened in Romania with Christians and with churches. See, they would close down churches. Churches were absolutely closed down. Uh, they would, uh, some churches were demolished. Uh, you know, the dictator just hated seeing churches. If he would go and visit a city, he didn't want to have a path where he would see a church when he would visit that city. Um, and you were just not allowed to say there is a God. God exists. 
talk about God, talk about Christianity, talk about Jesus. It was absolutely not allowed. The dictator had his picture in every single public institution, in every single classroom. They shot him in 89. He was actually killed in, in, in my wife's city. They just pulled five machine guns out and just blasted him and his wife out. And that was the end of it. What about the church? The church had a hard time during those years. You know, I was telling some of you, we have the same Bible from 1921 till today. Same Bible. Translated in 1921. We're still using the same Bible today. If you can picture yourself having no access to commentaries, no access to dictionaries, no access to Christian literature, no access to theological education, one Bible translated by one person in 1921. See, it's easy to stay here today and to condemn how the church was like and all the legalism and the tradition. But if you think of that context, that's all they had. We had nothing else. Today, well, here I am coming to get my master's at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. But before then, there's no, no way you can do that. You know, the church had informers from the Communist Party inside the church. You know, you think you'd be fellowship, uh, fellowshipping and, and, and singing and, and sharing with those who you thought, these were my true brothers and sisters in Christ. These were my believer friends. And yet, in there, for all you know, could be an informer. That's why people were afraid to share something. Because you never knew who was the informer. You sent something, he'd turn you in. Next day, you'd be called in. What did you say? Write it down, and you'll have problems. Uh, and Christians were not really taught to think for themselves, which, which I think is a problem for where we are today in the church. The church, the way it looks today, because we were not taught to think for, this, for ourselves, to argue a case, to reason. That's... One of the reasons I'm very excited Rick Gerhardt is coming to Romania this summer. Because we need to learn how to think, how to reason, how to argue a case. See, we usually, the pastor preached, and whatever the pastor preached in the pulpit, that was it. And we took that. We need to change that. And again, as I said, pastors do not have access to any Christian literature, any commentaries. No theological education. It was only the help of Campus Crusade for Christ navigators that came in and trained the, the lay pastors in, in some basic things about preaching, about studying the Bible. That was a little bit of what happened before 89. Now, in 1989, uh, the Romanian Revolution came. It was, it was a series of events. In 1989, the Romanian Revolution took place. In 1989, the Berlin Wall fell. And after that, 1990, 1991, and so forth, all these communist countries became free. It was like a domino effect. Now, in 89, I remember, I remember it vividly. I was only eight years of age, but I was on the streets. 100,000 people in, in my city, which at that time was not as large as today. And they were there, and at one point, in a big square, they knelt down, and they prayed the Lord's Prayer in a country where for 45 years you were not allowed to mention the name of God. My father was involved uh, in my city, in Arad. The, the revolution started in Timisoara, the city south of Arad. You see it up there. We'll go there this summer with a team. It's just 30 miles south. And, and then it extended all throughout the country. 
And in Arab, my father was involved in the revolution there. He would be in the city hall for days. He, would, he could not come home because they were shooting on the streets. I remember no one was at the ground floor. We, we went up as much as possible because we, we tried to avoid bullets that could potentially... I lived downtown, and where I lived, there was a lot of shooting going around. But the people actually came out. And by the way, if you didn't know this, the revolution in Romania starting by a group of believers, reformed Hungarians, the communists tried to arrest their pastor. They went out in the street and they said, we're not going to let you arrest him. And by them being in the street, people came out. That's how it really started, by a group of reformed Hungarians in a church in Timisoara. That's how the revolution started. And today we're a free country by God's grace. So the revolution came and today, well, voila, we're free. We have democracy. It's a free country. We have a president, we have a parliament, we have elections, uh, and, and so forth. We have a prime minister. That's where we are. But before I talk a little bit about what Romania looks like today, I want to talk to you a little bit about what would the world look without Romania? Some unique things about Romania that I think you'd like to know, and some of you might have heard these. How would the world look without Romania? Well, how many of you here have heard about Transylvania? Dracula? Yeah? Well, see Cluj there? That city, Cluj? That's where Transylvania is. So I live kind of like right outside Transylvania. It's, I don't know, it's really not a big thing. It's just a region of the country. But uh, the whole legend, you know, Bram Stoker, when he wrote Dracula, this whole Dracula thing with Transylvania comes from a very, very ruthless um, uh, king there, uh, Vlad the Impaler. And we called him in Romania Vlad Dracul. And from Vlad Dracul... Dracula. That's where it comes from. This guy was so mean that uh, he would just take thieves or people who did wrong and would make long spears and would take them alive through the spears. That's why the Dracula thing. But he didn't drink blood or anything like that, so don't worry about it. Uh, so then, just that you know, the fountain pen was invented by a Romanian professor, Petrake Poinaru, the first one to invent the fountain pen. That's pretty cool. Uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Stefano Dobleja, a Romanian scientist, is known as the father of modern cybernetics. The insulin. Insulin was first invaded, in, invented by a Romanian physiologist, uh, Nicolae Paulescu. But it was a very, very weird invention at that time. Nobody like, no, nah, no, nah, we don't need this. Fifty years later, two Canadians invented it. They got the Nobel Prize. And at that time, they were like, hey, hey, there was a Romanian who invented it 50 years ago. So at that time, this guy was credited for the invention of insulin. He was the true inventor of insulin, a Romanian um, physiologist. The jet plane was first invented by a Romanian, Henry Kwanda, in 1910. He made it possible so the Second World War would have jet planes. If you didn't know that, it was invented by a Romanian. The first perfect hand in gymnastics, Nadia Comaneci, right? The first perfect hand in gymnastics. In fact, your coach for the U.S. gymnastics teams is Romanian. He trained Nadia Komenich. Um, the first Romanian, uh, the first one to write a complete history of religions was Romanian. Professor Mircea Eliade. He was the first one to write a history of religion. Complied, uh, completed. Bill Gates owes us. You know why? Because the second language spoken at Microsoft is Romanian. There's a lot of Romanians working there because we're just very good with computers. Recently, FBI went to my hometown and caught a guy. He broke into NASA or whatever. Crazy. But anyways, 
we have the most vibrant blue color in the world. It's used in, in, in the east part of the country, in the monasteries. No one has ever been able to see how they made it to duplicate it, to find a combination. Uh, we have the most beautiful women in the world. And if you don't know that, just look at my wife. You'll be convinced <laughs> in Romania. You know. So is there any single guys you want to come on a mission trip? Um, and also, Romanians invented what it, it's called the godfather of baseball. It was a thing called Oina, first attested in 1364. Now, we don't play baseball in Romania, but we invented that thing. It was very weird-looking ball, and you throw it around, and you'd hit it, and I just, it's, it's just old. I nobody ever does it anymore. But it was the godfather of what became cricket and baseball called Oina, 1364, first attested. Again, you owe us. Okay, so that's just a, a few things that Romania did. You know, what would the world look about Romania? Well, here's your answer. That's how it looked. Okay, let's move on to um, life after communism, democracy, freedom. The communists influenced, unfortunately, the way we lead. The communist regime influenced the way we lead organizations, the way we lead churches, the way we lead families. It's that dictatorial style of leadership. No, I don't want to say that everyone who's in a leadership position in Romania is a, is a dictator. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it's that dictatorial style leadership, which we don't even know. See, if I had stayed in Romania all my life, I wouldn't have seen some things. I wouldn't have noticed some things about Romania. But I did not. Why? Because I stepped out of the context. You know, that's, that's just a style of leadership. You know, in the families, men, they just... We need to learn how to live biblically. It's like, me, man, you, woman, I speak, you shut up. You know, like, what, you know, what, what that? It's just, it's just crazy, you know, where we are. The way we lead churches is just what the pastor says something. Well, if the pastor says it, it has to be true because he's the pastor. It's, we just need authentic leadership. You know, there's a low middle class in Romania. There's no strong uh, there's no strong middle class. There's poor people, there's rich people, and you know that if you want to have a strong economy, if you want to have a strong country, you need a strong middle class. We don't have it. We don't have it. And that's just not good. There's, a big, there's big corruption. Corruption is everywhere. Education, business, government, even the people who lead to the country today, they were members of the communist country, uh, of the communist party. And there's a lot of corruption in Romania. Bribery is all over the place. It's really a big problem. The major religion in Romania is the Orthodox religion, the Orthodox Church. The Orthodox Church basically was all one with the Catholic Church. In 1054, which is called the Great Schism in the Church, the Catholic Church broke from the Orthodox Church. And that's, that's what it is. Basically, the Orthodox Church is very close to the Catholic Church for two things, except they hate the Church, they hate the Pope, and they don't like purgatory. But I think other than that, it's pretty, pretty similar, really. A lot. Saints and all that tradition. So that's the major religion in Romania. About 87% of Romania is Eastern Orthodox. And these guys passionately hate evangelicals. Uh, they control what the authorities do. They control what the authorities say. They have a very, very big influence. Um, there's a lot of domestic abuse, a lot of spousal abuse in the families in Romania. Physical abuse, verbal abuse, emotional abuse. Even within Christian families. 
dictatorial style leadership, okay? And it's, it's sad and we have to do something about it. And we just, we just need to wake up and realize that that's not the way it's supposed to be. And there's a lot of abuse, you know, a few years ago I was in the car with the chief of the police on the county of my hometown. It was me and him and a, a report came in that there was some domestic abuse going, uh, going out and he just picked up the radio and he was like, if it, was, if it wasn't something, someone from the family calling it in, don't go. And then he looks at me and he's like, I don't want to get sued for getting into a family when it's none of my business. It's just, that's the chief of the police in Arad, 200,000 people. And he just said that to me. I was like, I can't believe it. And that was not in 89. That was in 02, 03. There's a lot of abortion in Romania. We are in top three countries in the world with abortion. About three years ago, John Piper quoted in a sermon, he said Romania was number two in the world at that time in 05. From 1990 to 2005, we have killed 15 million babies, one five. You know what Romania's population is today? 18.5. In 15 years, we've killed 15 million babies from 1990 to 2005. We're in 09 today. I suppose it probably got to 18 or 19 million. We have killed the population of Romania from the revolution to up to this point in abortion. Sla sex slave trade, that's a big one. Romania is one of the hottest markets for sex slave trade today. A lot of young girls in their teens are taken to Germany, Italy, Spain, London. They're offered jobs. They're taken there, and they are kept slaves. And it's big. Human trafficking is big from Romania. That's why they closed down international adoptions because people would adopt babies or children and take them and sell them for their organs in Europe for a lot of money. And they closed down the international adoptions now. So we need churches like Antioch. We need churches to step up and speak up for human rights and speak up against these issues. And there's no church in Romania that's done that, that does that. And we need churches like that. A little bit about the church. There's a lot of duplicity in the Christians' lives today. You know, Sunday, we dress nice. Oh, by the way, um, if I were dressed like this in a Romanian church, I would be excommunicated. But I'll get to that later. But Sunday, you know, we just, it's one thing on Sunday, and from Monday to Saturday, you find this duplicity in Christians' lives. They lie, they cheat. Still, I'm not saying everybody does that. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you know, there's, but, but, but there's this duplicity. On Sunday, we have to be dressed nice. We have to be good Christians because we're going to church. We're not going to church. We are the church, by the way. And then from Monday to Saturday, we, it's just this big duplicity. It's a problem. See, we have lack of Christians who, who know how to reason, how to think, how to argue. We have a lack of well-trained pastors. We have a lack of sound biblical interpretation. Are you surprised, taking into consideration that we had one Bible translated by one person in 1921? That's why we have some of the practices we have in the church, and it's just wrong. You know, there's still a form of persecution that exists today for Christians. Now, if you talk to anyone in Romania and say, is Christian, is Christ, are Christians free to worship? Yes, but in a sense... In some parts of the country, in the south part, in the east part, there's still forms of persecution. Now, depends on who you talk to. Some people would say, ah, it's okay, it doesn't happen. But the Orthodox priests, they will not let evangelicals bury the dead in the cemetery because they say that they will taint the holy uh, uh, graves. It, it's, uh, 
people who become Christians, who come to know Christ, are threatened that they will lose their jobs, are threatened that the electricity will be cut off. I've been in those places. And if you talk to someone who grew up in Arad, like me, they'll tell you, oh, there's nothing like that going on. Baloney there is, and it's a lot, and it's bad. They use these techniques to intimidate all those who become Christians, and it's not supposed to be that way. You know, things considered sin today in church, things that were considered sin before 89, things that are considered sin today, alcohol, playing cards, dancing, not wearing the hat covering, pants for women, wearing jewelry, makeup, these were considered sin growing up. And in most churches, they still are today. Short hair for women was not approved. Some instruments are diabolical, according to them. The drums are diabolical. They should not be in church. Okay, that's what I grew up in. Now, do we need to change that? Of course we do. Are churches that are changing? Of course they are, but we need a lot of work, and that's where a lot of you come in because American teams coming over in Romania, they had a great, good impact in what happens there. A great, tremendous impact. There's lack of authentic discipleship, there's lack of counseling, there's lack of small groups, there's lack of, of accountability. And are you surprised we have lack of accountability when before 89, if you'd share something in a context, what would you know somebody could turn you in? See what I'm saying? We try to preach all these values, but people have lived with fear for a long time. And now I come and tell them, well, here's what we have to do. That's what's... That's what's going on in Romania. I wish I could share more, but I'm out of time. Now, the team will come to Romania this summer, and we're really, really excited for that. And we'll go to Bucharest, which is the start city there, which is the capital, 2.5 million. In Bucharest, we'll spend four days. We'll spend time with a new church plant that was, plant, uh, that was planted last fall. We'll be there with them. We'll encourage them. We'll visit the city, and then we'll take something, I don't know what, a train, a vans, a plane, and we'll cross all the way to Arad, where we will be there for one week. We'll do an evangelistic camp. There's already five churches, five churches that are uh, sending their young people to this camp. And uh, another sixth one, they're thinking about it. Why? Because when Americans come and they do something, people love it. And there's this great impact that you have. I've experienced, I've been working with American team teams coming over through the years and I tell you the impact that you have when you come the impact in the camps the impact in the churches is good especially in the lives of young people you know we have 10 high school kids we have an elder coming we have a pastor coming we have some adults coming it will be a great time we're going to do apologetics conference apologetics seminars uh, uh, women's seminars young girls seminars youth meetings working in an orphanage uh, doing an evangelistic camp where I'm telling you, God will move with power and we will see changed lives in that camp. And, and I know that it, this will be a learning experience for all the team that's coming, for everyone and for us and for you guys. So be in prayer for that. You know, Matthew 28, the Great Commission, you know it very well. But a lot of people take extremes in that. And they're like, hey... Um, we fulfill the Great Commission by sending people across seas, but we do nothing in our own town. Some other people say, you know, we fulfill the Great Commission by doing a lot of things here in our own town, but we don't send people across. See, Antioch, I think, has a balance. Because you're doing things locally and you're sending teams across. This summer, you have a team in Romania, a team in Congo, a team in Peru. 
people are going in, on mission trips. And I, I just, I applaud you for that, and I think you should keep going, fulfilling the Great Commission locally and also to the ends of the earth. Praise God for that. And I just, I just pray that this visit there will be the first step in a partnership. You know, we're looking to take some students from Romania, send them to Killens College. The potential is enormous. And let's just be in prayer for that. Let's end with a word of prayer. God, I thank you for Antioch. I thank you for the time that we had here, Lord. I just thank you for uh, the things that this church does. That's, uh, it's a small community, but it does big things for you, Lord. Not only locally, but all over the world. And I thank you for the college. I thank you for the partnership with World Relief. Lord, I thank you for the staff here, for the elders. I pray, Lord, that as we go through Romania now, that your anointing, your power of the Holy Spirit will stay with this church, that you will make them salt and light in this community, that you will use them in Central Oregon, Lord. Use them with power. Use them here. Use them in Africa. Use them wherever they go. Lord, please bind us together with chains that cannot be broken and help us be a community of believers that just spreads out the gospel here in Bend, in Oregon, and to the ends of the earth. I thank you, and we, we pray all these things in your son's name. Amen.